ghouls and gals, this is Time of Death. You have your hosts, Dee and Briss, and we're here to delve into a tale of heart and marriage. One heart and two men. <gasps> this case is not your typical true crime anomaly. No. This case is not a mystery. This case is scientific. <gasps> I know. So brace yourselves and prepare as we delve into the story of Sonny Graham and Terry Cottle. <gasps> You're such an enthusiastic audience member, Bruce. I, I love it. I love it. Well, let's get into it. Okay. So this all starts with Terry Cottle, who is a hardworking young man married with young children. His boss's daughter is Cheryl Sweat. Sweat is such a gross last name. Cheryl Sweaty. Sweaty, Sweaty Cheryl. Cheryl. <laughs> <laughs> so Cheryl is also married. However, she had her marriage annulled on the basis that her husband was married to another individual. Wait, so Terry's married and then... His boss's daughter is Cheryl, and she's married, but the marriage was annulled. She just had it annulled. Okay. These two enter this forbidden affair where Terry and Cheryl are entwined. Okay. And Cheryl's ex-husband, who whose marriage was annulled with, reaches out to Terry's wife and tells her that Terry and Cheryl are messing around. Yes. Terrell. Terrible. <laughs> That's terrible. Yes. So Terry files for divorce, and nine days after it's granted, this is May 1989, he and Cheryl married. Okay. So there was definitely some foul play involved. Definitely some overlap there. Yes, for sure. And at first, things are wonderful. Terry adopts Cheryl's two sons. And they have a daughter. So things are great. Mm -hmm. Things are swimmingly beautiful. The sailing is smooth. However, and Cottle, Terry, is working very, very hard. He had actually dropped out of high school, but he got his GED. He ended up getting his real estate license and became a EMT, which I think was really cool. Okay. Yeah, that is cool. During this time, Cheryl is in school studying to become a nurse. Hmm. It's always the nurses that are the crazy ones. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> we would know. So while she's in school, he is solely responsible for supporting their family. However, everything that he did just wasn't enough. And Cheryl, during this very tumultuous time in their marriage, moved her mother in. And this put a very even more of a strain on their relationship. Why did she move in? It's, Just to take care of an old age? I think maybe to help with child care. It sounds like she was pretty mobile, but I'm thinking this was more about helping Cheryl while she's in school with the children. Okay. More than anything else. So Terry, you know, during this stress in his relationship, is frequently speaking with his ex-wife at that time. Oh. Mm-hmm. He didn't want Cheryl to find out. So he would have his ex-wife call him at his job. 
And he would say things like, talk to me, babe. I've got a gun <laughs> to my head. So this sets the stage that he has a gun in his hand. He is, you know, contemplating doing something very drastic. Oh, my. Yes. So he actually ended up moving in with his sister for a short period of time. He and Cheryl were trying to make their marriage work. And Terry's sister actually was going to have a baby. So Terry moved back in with Cheryl. And things were good at that point as well. However, shortly after he moved back in with Cheryl, they got into this huge argument. The The root issue at hand was that Cheryl did not want to stay married to a man that made less money than she did. Something that had been ongoing, you know, she was not happy with, although he was a very hard worker, working as a real estate agent, as an EMT, he was not making the kind of money that she wanted. Oh, boy. So, well, you know, notoriously EMTs are underpaid. For sure. That's very true. I don't know about the salary for a real estate agent. I think it varies. It's more of like a self-employment. Yeah. And, you know, if the market's hot, great. But if it's not, it's mostly commission. So during this argument, Cheryl actually takes off her wedding ring and throws it over the fence. So they are done. She told Terry, get out of my house. And this prompted Terry to go in the bathroom and shoot himself in the head. Wow. So there's two stories about what happened when Terry was shot or shot himself, I should say. The first version that she initially told investigators is that her 10-year-old son was shouting that Cottle had just shot himself. Terry shot himself. Her son saw Terry on the ground. She ran into the bathroom and found him dead on the floor with the gun in his hand. Now, the second version that she told later was that was more detailed and contradicted what she had said earlier. Mm. In the second version, she said that she was actually at the table eating oatmeal when one of her sons yelled, Mom, Dad has a gun. Which is interesting for a couple different reasons. One, the initial statement says that the son found him on the ground after he had shot himself. I found him dead? Okay. Now, she's saying that Dad has a gun. Mm-hmm. He's also referring to Terry as Dad. Which it's not his father, which I thought, you know, I think he was a good, he tried to be a very big family man, Mm -hmm. which is something that we will dive into a little further. So Cheryl said that she ran towards the bathroom and saw Terry standing up looking at her with the gun in his hand. She tried to stop him and then there was a gunshot. See, that's pretty suspicious because there's such a big difference. You find him alive or you find him dead. Which is it? listen to this. In that same second statement that she made, after he shot himself, apparently Terry said, baby, help me, help me, I'm dying. So he was not dead Mm -hmm. at that point. But apparently the twenty-two caliber bullet or slug had entered his skull just behind his right ear, and there was no exit wound. Okay. So, this is not adding up. 
Mm -hmm. There's two conflicting statements. One of which is that she basically is wrestling the gun from him and then he shoots himself. So keep this in mind. So I wonder if like later on they'll find her fingerprints on the gun. Gotta keep listening. (laughs) After four days in the hospital, specifically the trauma unit at Medical University of South Carolina, Cheryl takes him off of life support and decided to donate his organs. So, introducing our next character, Sonny Graham. Sonny is like a dude's dude. He's like great. He's the manager of... Air Gray Communications, which is Hilton Head's telephone service provider, is like considered a really like big shot, like very well known in Hilton Head. He actually had a football field named after him. Hmm. He is a redhead. He is a an Air Force veteran, hunter, fisherman. His friends consider him like a man's man, like solid dude all the way around. Salt of the earth. Salt of the earth. Very well said. He is also a family man. He had a wife named Elaine, and they were married for more than three decades at this point, almost 40 years, and they had two kids, Gray and Michelle. So he actually required a heart transfer, organ donor for heart transplant. Heart transfer. (laughs) (laughs) Heart transplant. Because he had contracted a virus that had damaged his heart muscle. So, upon learning that there was a heart available, he was ecstatic, elated, and apparently Terry's heart was almost nearly a perfect match. So, he has a transplant, is doing great. Within six months of the transplant, he actually went on a fishing trip to Alaska. And he's, like, bragging to his friends about his libido is so much better. Like, he's able to be with Elaine, and he's, like, thrilled and happy about that. And he's in his late 50s at this time. Okay. Now, when Terry died, he was 33. So he's like, I got this 33-year-old heart. Like, here I am Mm -hmm. having sex with my wife. Like, life is good. Nice. Things are great. So... His doctor actually recommended, because of this survivor's guilt, that he see a counselor, like, to talk about any kind of grief that he might be having. And he had declined. He was quoted to say, I'm sorry the other guy died, but this is my heart now. So, during this time where he's, like, living his best life, his friends started noticing some things. He developed, like, a new taste for beer. He hadn't been, like, a really big beer drinker previously. Started liking hot dogs, which was, incidentally, Terry's favorite food. And he also, like, just seemed more restless. Mm -hmm. So some personality changes, some preference changes. Just interesting. So Sunny reaches out to the South Carolina Organ Procurement Agency to send a letter to the donor's family to thank Terry's family for, you know, his heart and that selfless gift that he gave. And they agree. And Cheryl, Terry's widow, 
agrees. They send each other letters, some photographs. Agrees to what? To stay in touch with him? To communicate. Oh, yeah. okay. And then <clears throat> they all decide that they want to meet in person and go to dinner. Oh. So Sonny and his wife Elaine go and they meet Cheryl, who obviously is Terry's widow. And they go and they have dinner all together. And during this time, Sonny says, I could not keep my eyes off of Cheryl. I knew this was going to happen. I fell in love with Cheryl the first time that we met. He would later confess. So Cheryl was not interested. She actually was getting remarried for a third time. She ended up having another kid. And actually, Sonny and Elaine went to that wedding. And Sonny gave Cheryl away. Like, instead of her father. So, like, a very paternal, like, fatherly role Mm -hmm. that he's taken on with Cheryl, right? So, shortly after she gives birth to her child in her third marriage, Elaine, who is Sonny's wife, finds out that Sonny's relationship with Cheryl was not fatherly. It was romantic. And then they were having an affair. <gasps> After the baby was born? Yeah. Oh, my God. Sonny later apologized to Lane for being the SOB you said I was and destroying a relationship we had for 40 plus years. I let someone come between you and I, which should have never happened. I look back on everything and see where I gave up love, companionship, for attention and affection. It would be wonderful if I could turn back our lives. Do you know if they were having an affair before she got married, like when he walked her down the aisle? That I don't know. It didn't specify that. And I think that that timeline is very foggy. But Mm. there was definitely romantic feelings on his part when he met her. Yeah. So it was instantaneous. So this statement that Sonny made to Elaine was a very serious case of buyer's remorse because... Cheryl and Sonny moved in together, and this was in a trailer while he built a brand new home to her specifications, because she is a very particular person. And things go south really fast. Less than a year later, Cheryl leaves, and Sonny ended up suing her for reneging on some of the loans and refusing to return her engagement ring. She, I guess, countersued and said that Sonny was very possessive in their relationship and that he had threatened her. So some very serious accusations, like a very tumultuous, like, Mm -hmm. relationship. So while this was going on with Sonny, like, the lawsuits and everything, she got married again. So this is now number four. And this is John B. Johnson Jr. John Johnson. (laughs) Uh, and he's a corrections officer at the prison where Cheryl was working as a nurse. Oh, so she was a corrections? Yes, at this time she was a corrections nurse. Within less than a year, that marriage fell apart as well. So who is the common denominator here? Sounds like a lot, a lot like Cheryl. So actually on Thanksgiving, during their first year, like you're in a honeymoon stage, you're supposed to... This is the holidays. The police were called during Thanksgiving, and both John, 
and Cheryl accused each other of domestic abuse. Oh my goodness. Johnson says that one evening while laying in bed that Cheryl began to talk about suicide. She went into the bathroom and he later found her clutching his 22 revolver. So he went in, he tried to take it away from her. There ended up wrestling over this weapon and the kids and her mom came in. Cause keep in this mind, is according to John? Yeah. Okay. Cheryl actually told her kids and her mother that John had had the gun. She was trying to wrestle away from him and that he was threatening to shoot himself. Okay. So let's look at this pattern now. This is now the second husband that she's had that she is stating he was trying to kill himself. Mm-hmm. All I'm going to say. It is a little, it's a little fishy. unusual, yeah. So John and Cheryl end up separating shortly after this, and she gets back with Sonny. <sighs> Not Sonny again. Sonny is like that bad cold that just keeps coming back. Oh, my God. And they end up getting married. They're happy. He has a landscaping company. Like, things are all good. So they go on to attend this beautiful event to honor the families of organ donors. The newspaper runs a story, and the headline is, A Love Story Unlike Any Told. Some quotes that I have for you guys. (laughs) It's true what it says in the Bible. If you live God's will and give with a happy heart, you will reap rewards. This is Cheryl saying this. Sonny says, I would put my life in God's hands, and Cheryl is the answer to my prayers. Okay. Very weird. A little extreme. I think that it doesn't, it like idealizes their relationship. It definitely glosses over a lot of the stuff that had to come up. And. I feel like a lot of people hide some really sinister stuff behind this adoration, you know, thankfulness, praising, you know, higher power. Oh, yeah. And I think that's what's going on here. So during this time, everyone thinks things are really great because here they are saying that, you know, they're so happy. You know, Cheryl is the answer to my prayers. Meanwhile... Under the surface, there's some really concerning things going on. Sonny approached his nephew and asked him to be the executor of his will that he's just made. Mm. Red flag. He went on a couple fishing trips with his friends, and I guess that something just wasn't right. They specifically said that he wasn't talking about his marriage with Cheryl, which was very unlike him. Like he was avoiding the topic? Yeah. So, little concerning. Definitely some, you know, preparation being made, you know, shifts in his personality, you know, some concerning stuff. One of his friends said that he was not the happy-go-lucky guy that he'd known all his life. Days after that trip, Graham comes back and picks up a 12-gauge Remington shotgun that he'd used on, like, so many hunting trips with his friends 
and shot himself. It gets worse. Oh, God. This was on April Fool's Day. This was nearly the same day that Terry had killed himself. And when he did that, that was obviously the same time that Sonny was given a second chance at life. Don't tell me that they give this organ to another person and then Cheryl starts up with this other person. Is that what happens? No. Oh, thank God. I was like, no, the pattern just keeps continuing. So Cheryl is now a widow times two. And she's talking about, you know, Sonny's death. And she says that, you know, Sonny did not even leave me a dime. <gasps> Apparently, Sonny had run through his retirement accounts and was trying to, like, live it really large to keep Cheryl happy. He was in debt about three times his assets. So an astronomical amount of debt. And he was doing this to try to keep Cheryl in the style she wants to live. Because as we know, Cheryl is very high maintenance. This was very surprising to his nephew. He always was under the impression that his uncle was like very fiscally responsible. And this was very unlike him. Also, really interesting to know, Cheryl, after Sonny's death, did not act like a widow. And I think there was a, like there was a couple different reasons why Sonny did what he did. One of which is that Cheryl was most likely having an affair. I guess on her MySpace, uh, after Sonny died, she posted a man and identified him as her new boyfriend. After he died? Yes. Very shortly. A matter of days. There's um, so much betrayal in this story. Yep. Later on, what came out was like some message that she had sent to this man. And it was dated before Sonny died. So they were having some kind of affair. That's what it indicates. Did. I wonder if the like the nephew said it was so unlike him to empty everything to provide for Cheryl. But I wonder if she was like secretly stealing from him to afford her. I don't know. I'm just suspicious because it's not. And his character, according to the nephew. I think that he was desperate to keep her happy. Yeah. Some other things I wanted to mention. There were several other red flags about Cheryl. I guess that for her very first husband, she threatened him regarding custody of their grandchildren. This is Isaac Bo Carter. Cheryl had called him and threatened to blow his brains out with her thirty-eight pistol. And he was granted a protective order. Yep. So a history of violent behavior. History of violent behavior and some red, red, red flags. Her fourth husband, John, John Johnson. Oh, John Johnson. He said, I think this sums it up so nicely. One day she hates you and one day she loves you. And the next day she hates you. I guess I'm lucky to be alive. Now, what I thought was really interesting was the idea of personality changes after this heart transplant, which is a phenomenon that is recognized in the medical community that I had no idea of. I'd heard, well, 
there's some TV shows and movies. I think there's one Jessica Alba in it called The, the Eye. Eye. Do you remember? Did we watch that Yeah, but together? that was like scary, scary That movie. was really scary. But she, for those of you who don't know, I think she gets the eye of a deceased person as an organ donor or as an organ recipient. And she starts having like all these hallucinations and like really terrifying things start to unravel. Well, I think that, yes, this is literally life imitating art <laughs> because apparently, like they say, oh no, there's no way, there's no way. But you are putting someone's cells, someone's life force into your body. Mm-hmm. You are going to, I mean, personally, I think it makes sense. And there's a couple different hypotheses. Hypotheses? Hypotheses, I think. Hypotheses regarding why this might happen. And this is per credible journal, the National Center for Biotechnology Information. And so I will be citing this APA for all of you. <laughs> typically, they're typically are they're hypothesizing that there are four types of cellular memory, one of which is epigenic, two is DNA, three is RNA and forest protein memory. There's another hypothesis which says the transfer of memory via intracardiac neurological memory and energetic memory. Intracardiac. So there are definitely implications for future heart transplantation and that we really need to look at our definition of death and dying and study how this might be impacting the people who are receiving these hearts. You know, the heart is not just a pump. It's not just a piece of machinery. It is yourself. It is your cells. It is you on a biological level. It is you. It's your DNA. It's your RNA. It's your proteins. And it's just fascinating. And it's it's not something that has unheard of. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, the heart... It's in a very emotional component as well. You know, I heart you love Valentine's Day. You know, I love you. The heart carries emotional information as well as personality. Well, it's your it's your life force. Yeah. You know, and there's things like what about uh, what's it called? Broken heart syndrome. Do you remember learning yeah. about that? Um, broken heart syndrome or Takotsubo cardiomyopathy. When the heart muscle becomes suddenly weakened, most often occurring after severe emotional or physical stress. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it your emotional well-being, your emotional health, I think, can carry over. That make just makes sense. It doesn't. And, you know, it was very uncharacteristic of Sonny to leave a relationship he had been in for almost 40 years to go and be with this other woman. You know, that was that was Terry's wife. And I just want to mention that this is not something that's isolated between Terry and Sonny. There was a young girl named Claire Sylvia. She was a professional dancer. She actually received a heart from an 18-year-old boy that had died in a motorcycle accident. After the surgery, she started craving beer and KFC fried chicken. And this, these are things she had never, as a dancer, had enjoyed before. 
However, it came out that those were the two favorite foods of the young man whose heart she had received. That's so interesting. Her family said that she began walking like a man. Wow. So there were some physical changes and preferential changes, and this was like a huge thing. And you know, it must have been pretty a pretty noticeable change because she was a dancer mm-hmm. and she was probably very graceful and you know had a lot of feminine energy and for them to make like maybe if it was like a person who doesn't have a history of being a dancer they wouldn't have been as noticeable but for them to see that drastic change it's it's very interesting very very interesting and they may argue you know when you have changes in terms of food preferences might be related to the medications you're on, the immunosuppressants, but beer, yeah. chicken, very specific. Yeah, very specific and very bizarre. And that just happened to be his two favorite foods. I think that down the line, there's going to be some kind of scientific discovery or breakthrough that gives us more insight into what's going on. But for now, all we can do is really speculate. Mm-hmm. But I think there is something to this. I agree. Yeah. So that that was my that's my case for the week. I thought it was so freaking cool, and I hope I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did researching it because I just thought it was so interesting. What what year was this? Do you know? This all took place from the 1990s to early 2000s. Wow. And do you know where Cheryl's at now? Nothing ever happened, right? Just speculated that something. The there's a lot of speculation, but. There was nothing that I found in my research, but again, I'm sure when we make the post on Instagram, we can include what Cheryl Sweat is up to now. And that's about it for tonight, I think. Let's call it. All right, Dee, you can go ahead and call it. Thanks, Riss. The time is 1919. Spooky. For those of you who use military time... And it is 7.19 p.m. (laughs) For those of you who do not. um, For those of you who don't know, we like to talk about true crime cases from a nursing perspective with our psychiatric and medical backgrounds. And we hope you enjoyed listening to us. If you like us, then follow us. We have an Instagram, Time of Death Podcast. And we also are on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, and you like it, like us, rate us, review us, follow us, and tell everybody you know about us as well. Thank you. Just a shout out to our number one hobgoblin, Mom. Thanks, Mom. Thanks for always showing up for our podcast and being so supportive and involved. We love you. We love you. (laughs) Shout out to Luminari Productions. Thanks for all the help. And shout out to Bubba for running out of the houses when I came in today. Yes. Thank you, Bubba. We love you. All right. Bye. Bye, Hobgoblin.